Today we're going to talk about the incredible love that God has displayed towards us. So go ahead and be turning, and as you're turning there, I'll wait patiently. All right, stand with me in honor of God's word, Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, that means strongly, if I must die with you, I will not deny. And they all said the same. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you that though we have lived lives of denial and sin, That your love overcomes all of our rebellion. Lord, thank you that you sent Jesus to die. Thank you that you loved us when we were unlovable. And thank you, Lord God, that we can look forward to a day when with the ransomed in glory, we will sing, how marvelous, how wonderful is our Savior's love for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If I do my job well today, you all will leave here encouraged because my goal for you from God's word is to help you to wrap your brain around a little bit of how much it is that God loves you. Can I just kind of give away the the bank here? It's a lot. It's a whole lot. It's an incredible lot. It's more than you can imagine or fathom. And it's far, 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 far more than we could ever hope to deserve. Beethoven was one of American, or not American, he was not American, that's for sure. Beethoven was one of Western culture's greatest composers, but he began to lose his hearing in his mid-20s. His hearing deteriorated through the rest of his life, but he continued to compose music and to play the piano really until he died. The story goes that as his hearing failed, he would bang on pianos harder and harder so that he could hear the notes, and as a result, he wrecked pianos. He broke keys, he broke strings, and he broke pedals until his hearing completely left him. You can actually follow the decline of Beethoven's hearing in his music. If you pay attention to the calendar of his composing, you will discover that in his early works, when his hearing captured the full range of notes and decibels, the full range of frequencies, he made use of higher notes in his composition. But later, as his hearing failed, he began to use lower notes that he could hear more clearly. If you don't know anything about Beethoven, you might know that he wrote Moonlight Sonata, And it was during this period of time as his hearing failed that he wrote songs like that that were deeper and louder and stronger. Surprisingly, though, toward the end of his life, the high notes returned to his music. Beethoven could no longer hear, 
but his hearing was not necessary. Beethoven could sit at a broken piano and hear songs taking form in his imagination. Even with broken strings and broken keys and broken pedals, the master could compose a masterpiece. Folks, I want you to know that God's not finished with you. Broken though you may be, rebellious though you may be, sinful though you may be, God can take the brokenness of your life and create something beautiful. This morning from this passage of Scripture, I want you to see three things. I want you to see, first of all, that God loved you before you sinned. I want you to see, second this morning, that God loves you in spite of your sin. And finally, I want you to see that God redeems you from your sin. Let me ask you this question. When was your name written in God's book of salvation? Now, I can remember the day that I gave my life to Christ. I can remember the day that God invaded my life and took the sinful mess of Craig and made it into a beautiful picture of His grace. And I was 10 years old. I was laying in my bedroom and and in all honesty, the power of God's Word overwhelmed me in that moment and I was converted right then and right there. And I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. But according to God's Word, my name was not written in the Lamb's Book of Life on the day that I gave my, my life to Jesus. According to God's Word, if we turn your Bible, if you wanted to, to Revelation 13, 8, I will discover that my name was written in the Lamb's Book, Lamb's Book of Life, which is just sort of one of those big Bible words that says it was written in God's record of salvation before the foundation of the world. Folks, we need to own that. God loved me and God loved you not only before you ever sinned. God loved me and God loved you before you were ever born. Before you were ever conceived. Before the thought of you ever existed. Before anything ever existed. Before the foundations of the earth were laid. According to God's word, He loved us in the sacrificed Son of God. God loved you before you sinned. God loved you before you were born. People often get hung up on this. People often get hung up on these big, scary theological words like election, foreknowledge, and predestination. And they use these words to limit God's love. But these are not limiting words of God's love. These are words that the Bible uses so as to broaden our understanding of God's love. That God doesn't love us because we deserved it. God doesn't love us because he saw something worthy of us in it. God loves us because God loves us. And God loved us from the beginning of all time. God loved us before the foundation of the earth was laid. He loves and has loved us from all time. You say, Craig, how in the world do you get that out of Mark chapter 14? I hope you ask that question because there's a wonderful answer. If we look in Mark 14, we're going to find some really really incredible things. Now, we looked last week at the Lord's Supper and the institution of that. We looked before that at God's love, Jesus' love toward even Judas when Judas was um, going to betray him. But here we've got Jesus looking at his disciples right there, right after the institution of the Lord's Supper. And Jesus says, oh, by the way, guys, before this night is over, you're all going to walk away. Now, the disciples are good, arrogant followers of Jesus, just like the rest of us can be, right? Oh, no, Jesus, Peter says, I'll die before I'll turn my back on you. And the Bible says all of them agree. 
Isn't that something? Jesus, you don't really know what you're talking about. Listen up. How, how many times have you tried to remind God of what he really was supposed to know? How many of you? Go ahead, just raise your hand. Everybody around here needs to see it. The rest of you are liars because you didn't put your hand up. You see that? The rest, some of y'all are weak and the rest of you are liars. So the rest reality is, here, here's where we are. We've all been in that place where I said, by the way, God, let me tell you what your plan is going to be today. Or tomorrow. Or for my life. Jesus said you're going to deny me. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Jesus, you're so naive. Oh, that, that, those words from God, those are so naive and old-fashioned. No, Jesus, let me tell you what's really going to happen. But look at the incredible love of Jesus. He didn't slap them. And I don't even say that sarcastically. I want you to consider what was really going to go on. Jesus knew that he was fixing to die for those very men. The men that he had poured his life into, that he had given all that he had. And they said, oh Jesus, you're so dumb, you don't know anything, we'll never walk away. And Jesus doesn't give in to the temptation of the flesh and just grab them up by the shirt collar and go, you listen to me. I'm the son of God. Oh, parents, what do we have to learn from the love of God? But instead, the Bible says that Jesus looked at them and he said, I'm going to go before you to Galilee. Folks, I want you to know that before they sinned, Jesus announced his love for them. Now you say, Craig, what in the world does that have to do with anything? In just a minute, I'm going to show you what it has to do with everything. Jesus said, I'm going to get up. Don't miss that. They did. All they heard was, you, you don't like me and you don't trust me. The great news of this word is not, you're going to walk, fall away from me. The great news is, after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Jesus says, you're going to walk away from me, but he says, I'm not finished with you. Do you see the love of God? Before they had ever even denied him, Jesus says, I'm still going to be waiting on you when you get to Galilee. Folks, do you know what incredible love it takes? The incredible love that it takes for the people or, or, or for the Lord God to say, I know what you're going to do, but I'll be waiting for you after you've done it. Before you sinned. God loved you. Before the disciples sinned, God loved them. And before the foundations of the earth were laid, God wrote your name in the Lamb's book of life. Folks, that's an incredible love that God has for us, that He would love us before we sinned. But He doesn't just love us before we sinned. He doesn't just love us before there was a, 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 an, an us. Right? Before the idea of us had ever been conceived. God doesn't just love us as an idea. There's, not more, there's more to God's love than just, I love the idea of what you're going to be. God stretches flesh over this love. And God loves us in spite of our sin. Pastor Buster read to us just a few moments ago that God would love us in our sin, right? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We're going to look at that in just a minute, but God loves us in spite of our sin. Now the disciples said, we'll never fall away. 
I like what J.C. Ryle has to say about this. He said, there's far more wickedness in all of us than we know. And isn't that true? Isn't that true? The disciples were appalled that Jesus would accuse them of turning from him. And Peter appears to have gotten angry about it. Why? Because we want to think of ourselves as good people deserving of God's love, don't we? We do. We, there, there, there's, there's a part of many of us that want to go, well, well, of course God would save me. I mean, why wouldn't he? I'm a fun guy. Look at all that I bring to the table right here. Folks, we can only think that way when we start to have an earthly perspective and we cease to have a heavenly perspective. When we forget just how great and mighty and powerful our God is. We want to think of ourselves as good, but in truth, we need God's love in the midst of our sins. We are beggars extending our hand to the only one who can love us as we need to be loved. We don't even like to think that we need God's love and grace. And yet His love and grace is there for us in far greater helpings than we could ever even know or hope or pray for. While we were yet sinners, Christ died. You didn't deserve it. You don't deserve it and you'll never deserve it. I didn't deserve it, I don't deserve it, and I'll never deserve it. And yet, while we were sinners, Christ died. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, according to Ephesians chapter 2. How dead were you? That's a really dumb question to ask, isn't it? Really dead. Completely dead. Totally dead. You don't get to be partly dead. It's like being partly pregnant. Kind of pregnant. There's no such thing. You either are or you're not. The Bible says you were dead. No one's ever sort of dead. You're either dead or you're alive. And the Bible says you were dead. The Bible says you were an enemy of Christ and a conspirator in the cross. But God, who is rich in mercy redeemed us in spite of ourselves do you want to know how much god loves you while you were dead in your trespasses and sins unable to do anything deserving of grace and love and mercy while you were an enemy of the cross of christ a co-conspirator in his death while you stood opposed to the things of god god poured out his love for you because god loves you that much How much? More than you can imagine. God loves you when you don't want to be loved. God pursues you in love even when you don't want Him to come after you. God says it doesn't matter. I love you. You say, I don't deserve it. He says, it doesn't matter. I love you. God says, I don't want it. He says, it doesn't matter. I love you. Because God is love. Don't miss that. I can't wait. To preach those passages in 1 John. God is love. And for the disciples, Jesus said, I'll be waiting for you in Galilee. I'm going to go meet you there. I'm going to get back up out of the grave and I'll be waiting. How tempted would you be to look at the disciples and say, listen, when all this is said and done, I'm going to remind you of who I am and what you did, and maybe we'll talk about it someday. But Jesus loved them in their sin. Jesus said, I'm going to wait for you in Galilee. I'll be there. I'll be there when you get there. Now, the disciples didn't get it. 
You ever had somebody try to love on you and you didn't fully appreciate their love in the moment? We, we, we can remember if we can think back to maybe our teenage years. Right? Can you remember as a teenager, your parents were trying to love you and you can look back now and recognize that the things that they did were done in love, but in the moment it didn't seem like love at all. In the moment you didn't hear, I love you, I care about you, I want what's best for you. In the moment, all you heard was what you wanted to hear. The disciples didn't even hear Jesus say, I'm going to get back up and I'll be waiting for you because the disciples had stopped listening and started talking. How many of you have a hard time listening because you can't keep your mouth shut long enough? I have to ask that looking in the mirror just so y'all are clear. Right? Because we got two ears and one mouth. And Jesus said, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said, well, Jesus, why are you going to Galilee? What's going to happen right there? It's not at all what he said, is it? Peter said, even though that, <laughs> you got to love Peter. I love him. Peter reminds me of me in the bad ways. Peter said, <laughs> Jesus, they'll all fall away, but I'll be right here. Peter's pretty smart. He wants to kind of live in both camps. So he doesn't want to like accuse Jesus of being all wrong. But at the same time, Peter wants to make sure that he doesn't get caught up in that camp over there. Okay? Listen, this is how some of us read God's Word. I read it. And I want to make sure that I, I, I at least believe most of it. But I want to be careful that I don't fully give in to the parts that I might not like. So he says, well, Jesus, of course you're right. They, they're going to be gone. But me, I'm right here. I shall not be moved. What does Jesus have? A word directly for Peter. Truly, I tell you that this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Mm. Isn't that, isn't that just like God? To speak directly to us in our moment of need. Isn't it? Isn't it? Have you ever sat in that sermon before? And you walked out, I know you have, some of you, because you said it to me, and you said, you were preaching right to me. Have you ever read God's Word before and thought that was written just for me? We've got a perfect picture of that happening right here. God can take our hard hearts and pierce them with rifle shots from His Word. Pinpoint accuracy. He takes Peter and he hits him where it hurts the most. Peter says, oh no, Lord, the rest of them will fall away, but I'll be right here. And Jesus pulls Peter to the side. Or maybe he rebukes him publicly in front of everybody. We don't know. Maybe he lays his hand on his shoulder and he says, Peter, you think you're strong? You think you've got it figured out and you really don't need me, Peter. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. You think God didn't love Peter in that moment? 
You think Jesus didn't love Peter in that moment? Jesus didn't take joy in those words to Peter. But in those words, Jesus broke through Peter's defenses and got into his hard heart and made it possible for what's going to happen in Galilee. Peter missed that Jesus was going on to Galilee. Do you see that? Folks, listen to me. Some of you have gotten so caught up on something I said 10 minutes ago that you still haven't heard these words. God loves you. Some of you didn't like something I said five minutes ago, so you missed God loves you. Some of you think I'm being too loud, so you haven't heard me say it, so I'll whisper it. God loves you. And Peter was missing all of that because all Peter said was, you're picking on me. Folks, can I tell you that sometimes in God's love, he's got to rip away your defenses Rip apart your hard heart so that it can be penetrated with the loving grace of Jesus Christ. God loves you in spite of your sin. And he loved Peter in spite of his sin. And he loved the disciples in spite of their sin. But finally this morning, look at this. God redeems you from your sin. God's love changes you. Now, God's love changes you positionally, but it's not only positionally. You were lost, but now you are found. But God's love also changes you functionally. You once lived for the world, you now live for Christ. So God's love changes you positionally, functionally, and God's love changes you eternally. You were destined for hell, but now you are bound for heaven. But watch how God loves you. God loves you by going ahead of you. Isaiah 52, 12 says, For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Jesus announced to the disciples would sin. And then he said to them, I'm going to meet you in Galilee. Now, I keep saying that over and over and over again, and some of you don't even appreciate why it was so important that Jesus made it to Galilee. But you don't appreciate it because you haven't read carefully just yet. The Bible never gives us details without a purpose. Why did Jesus say, I'm going to Galilee? And why did Mark include that? Because Mark knew how important things were going to be in Galilee. Now, the Bible tells us that Jesus was crucified. Three days later, he was raised from the grave. And then during that time period, Jesus appeared to various different people. So we got his appearance to Mary and the others at the tomb. We got his appearance to some of the disciples, then to some of the other disciples. We got the Emmaus Road experience. Somewhere in the midst of that, before the 40 days were up and Jesus ascended into heaven, the Bible says that the disciples decided this was kind of a waste of their time, and they decided to go fishing. Y'all remember that story? John tells us that story. The disciples said, I'm going to go fishing. Now, we read that sometimes, and we gloss over it, and we forget that there's a big picture. John, of all people, wants us to grasp the richer meaning. And so when they said, we're going fishing, they didn't just mean, I'm bored, and I'm going to go see if I can catch a fish. The disciples said, this whole Jesus thing didn't work out. I'm going back to where I came from. And the Bible says that they went fishing. And they fished all night and they didn't catch a thing. You remember this story? They fish all night, they don't catch anything, okay? They come back in, they get close to the shore, and there's somebody standing on the shore and says, Hey, why don't you let your nets down the other side and see what happens? Now, they must have been desperate. Because that didn't make any sense. They've been fishing all night. 
there's some jackleg standing on the shore that says, put your net down on the other side. And certainly there's somebody in that boat going, who's this guy think he is? Like we ain't fished the whole lake and we ain't caught nothing. But somebody in the boat says, let's put them down and see what happens. The Bible says they put them down. The net started blowing up. There's fish everywhere. Fish on, fish on. And they can't haul it all in. And Peter, oh, you love him, right? Because Peter always acts before he thinks. He speaks before he thinks. He's like a six-year-old little boy. He's always doing and never stopping to think about what he's doing. It's incredible what God does with a man like that, isn't it? Because he makes him the pillar of the church. Peter says, it's the Lord. And boom, straight into the water. Peter goes, he ain't waiting on everybody else. He's leaving them all behind again. Jesus, they won't get to you before I do. But Lord, remember, I said they would forget you. Lord, I won't. I'm coming. I'm coming. And then the Bible gives us this other detail. Jesus, the Bible says, is there with a fire. Now, when John says he's there with a fire, John includes this weird, weird statement. He wasn't just sitting over a fire. He was sitting over a charcoal fire. Well, why does that matter? Well, if you go back and you read the accounts when Jesus denies Peter, the Bible says that Peter was warming himself. And Peter was warming himself around a 55-gallon trash drum, right? No, they didn't have those, remember? Good job. He was warming himself by a charcoal fire. A charcoal fire, not, not any kind of fire, just a charcoal fire. So you can imagine the last time that Jesus, or excuse me, that Peter saw Jesus around a charcoal fire is when Jesus and Peter locked eyes after Peter had denied him for the third time. And Peter runs off crying. And there Jesus sits roasting fish over a charcoal fire. And in that moment, Jesus is ripping the band-aid off of Peter's sin. I don't know if you know this, but charcoal smells different than other things. It sounds different. The experience of it is a little different. We, we grilled over charcoal last night. And I built a fire in the fireplace last night. I did both of those things. And do you know that they smell different? They look different. They burn different. They even sound different. Charcoal has this weird ping as it's getting hot. Bing, bing. Wood just kind of cracks. It's wet wood sizzles and steams. But charcoal, just bing, bing. And there Jesus sits around a charcoal fire. And he's feeding his disciples. And after a few minutes, Jesus and Peter go for a walk. Jesus lets Peter sort of sit in that for a little while and season. Don't we sometimes need to season? They go for a walk. He says, Peter, do you love me? Jesus says, Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I do. Then in the cassock version, Jesus says, get to work. The third time, he says, Lord, or Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And exasperated at this point, Jesus says, Lord, I do. He says, then get to work. Where's all this happening? By the seashore. Okay. Where? In Galilee. In Galilee. Because before they sinned and while they sinned, Jesus had a plan to go ahead of them to redeem them from their sin. 
Jesus' love for them was so great that before they sinned and while they sinned, His plan didn't change because on the back end of their sin, He said, I'm going to be sitting around a fire cooking fish waiting for you to show up. And when they got there, what did Jesus do? Jesus redeemed them, restored them, and commissioned them for ministry that needed to be done. Folks, I want you to know that God loved you before you sinned. He loved you while you sinned, but He doesn't leave you in your sin. God rescues you and changes you, but how much does God love you? He sees you as an outcast and makes you a brother. He sees you as an enemy and makes you an ambassador. He sees you dead and makes you alive. He sees you destined for hell and changes your destination. Do you know how much God loves you? God can take a broken instrument. A broken instrument. The broken instrument of our lives. And He can make a masterpiece. Not because of anything that we've done. But because of everything that He is. God loves you and God's not finished with you. God loved you before you sinned. He has always loved you. God loved you after you sinned. You couldn't run Him off. And His love redeems you from your sin. The disciples rejected Christ only to find Him waiting for them in Galilee. Y'all, I've laughed as I've worked through this sermon all week. Because I've wondered how many times was it that Jesus went ahead of me and sat down and said, I'll wait right here until you finish. How many times was it that God in His love was brokenhearted knowing what I was going to do, but He went on ahead and sat down and said, I'll wait here till you finish. I don't know if you ever had that child that pitched a fit and you knew where you were headed with all that thing, right? And every once in a while, as a parent, you have enough wisdom to look at that three-year-old that's throwing an absolute tantrum and just to sit down and say, when you're done, we'll talk. When you're finished, I'm still here. I don't know how many times you've had an opportunity to look at that teenager or that young adult like I have who has run from Jesus as far from Jesus as they could. I don't know how many times you've been able to sit and watch the U-turn and watch them come back to Jesus. And you've been able to sit there with them and say, I loved you when I knew. And I've been waiting. And I don't know how many times you've been able to say, God's been waiting. He never left. He never moved. Because He loves you. And He still loves you. And He keeps on loving you. You ready? I want you to listen to this one. Jesus outran their sin. And rescued them from their shame. At the end of your rope, at the end of your sin, at the end of your shame, at the end of your rebellion. 
Jesus is waiting. He's waiting to redeem you. He's waiting to rescue you. He's waiting to take the broken parts of you and make something beautiful. Do you know how much God loves you? Words don't do it justice. But a bloody cross on an old hill helps us to understand the incredible love of God. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. I don't know all the stories in this room but I know that there's a whole lot of people in this room who have run from Jesus. There's a whole bunch of folks who said, I don't know what I need, but here's what I know. There's a whole lot of love from a God who gave His Son to die for our sins. I know that though you may be destined for hell today, that the opportunity for salvation is there. That Jesus stands ready to save you from your sin. To redeem you and to rescue you. Jesus has outran your sin. And He's ready to rescue you from your shame. And to change you for all of eternity. Do you deserve it? You don't. Do I deserve it? Absolutely not. Does that make his love that much greater? You better believe it. Will you come today and be saved? Will you come today and be saved? Will you come today and say, Lord God, I don't understand how, but God, I know you love me. Will you come and be saved? Christian, would you come today and pray and say, Lord God, I have been like Peter. Trying to tell you how to do your job. Lord God, here I am today. Will you use me? Maybe there's some of you today that just run to this place and say, Lord God, I've ran everywhere else. And Father God, I'm ready to run into you. I trust God that you've outran my sin. That you've outran my shame. And God, I might not know all the details of what that means. But I know that my Redeemer lives. And I know that today can be the day of my salvation as we sing would you come today stand with me Father God in heaven I pray that you would rip off the scabs of our sin Lord God soften our hearts Lord God just as you would go right at Peter's hardness Lord God that you would come at ours that you would break us down Lord so that you can build us up Lord God, that you would rip the blinders off of our eyes so that we could behold the glory and the wonder of the love of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross who died so that we might live. I pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's sing together this morning. Y'all come as the Lord leads.